Hello, how's it going, Oyster Bay? We are back with season two, sort of, of the Arena Podcast. It's been a while, but it's good to see you. I appreciate everybody sticking around. At least I hope you're sticking around or stuck around while we went on an unanticipated hiatus due to a death in the family. But we're back uh, with an exciting second season, chock full of the high-level content you've come to expect from your neighborhood podcast studio. Uh, remember, this podcast is for and about Oyster Bay and the immediate surrounding area, so we take our cues from you. Send me an email, join the Facebook page, and if you have any ideas for future episodes and interesting guests, by all means, share them with me, and I will try to make that magic happen. So, the sprouting of political signs on lawns across the hamlet can only mean one thing. Fall is just around the corner. Uh, as we say, so long to summer and send the kids back to school, thoughts inevitably turn to politics. Really? Really? Isn't everybody sick of politics? I'm getting sick of politics. The level of discourse about the challenges facing our community and our nation has never seemed to be in a lower place. But uh, ignoring the craziness out there won't make it go away. So here at the Oyster Bay Arena, home of the rough rider himself, Teddy Roosevelt, we've taken a cue from the colonel who famously said, to sit home, read one's favorite paper, and scoff at the misdeeds of the men who do things is easy, but it is markedly ineffective. It is what evil men count on count upon the good men doing. So Roosevelt was probably our first progressive. <clears throat> Started the FDA, National Park Service, um, believed that healthcare was a human right rather than something that could be bestowed uh, or taken away based on your economic standards. So in the spirit of the original progressive, uh, we bring you a progressive candidate for uh, the 3rd Congressional District, which includes Oyster Bay, uh, Melanie DiRigo. She is running um, in the Democratic primary to unseat Tom Suozzi, two-term um, incumbent. The um, primary is next June, and uh, Melanie just announced her candidacy a couple of weeks ago. Um, I encourage you to listen with an open mind. Perhaps this is not uh, your cup of tea. Perhaps you're on the other side of the political fence, but I believe that we can learn more by engaging with people we don't agree with than we can by exiling them uh, from our consciousness and staying within our own silos. So I will be back after the uh, interview, and I hope you enjoy it, and let us know what you think. Drop us a line. Send us a note. Okay, like I said, our guest today is uh, Melanie DiRigo. Melanie is a progressive activist and wellness professional who is challenging uh, Representative Tom Swazi for New York's 3rd Congressional District, primarying from the left. Um, so I have so much that I wanted to ask you because I was, I was really pleasantly surprised to find a progressive activist challenging uh, a Tom Swazi in this district, because when you think of the North Shore of, uh, of Long Island and part, that part of Queens, progressive is not the word that bump, jumps into your mind uh, right out, out of the get-go. Um, what, what made you decide to, um, to run for, for the office? 
Yeah, sure. Well, thanks so much for having me here today, firstly. Um, quite a bit, actually. Um, so, you know, I was born and raised in Long Island. I live here now with my family, my three daughters, and uh, my two dogs. Mm. And um, I've, over the last several years, I've become increasingly involved in activism. There's a lot of amazing uh, progressive local groups and, you know, obviously some very amazing national groups as well that I have become um, very involved in. And I've also been involved in helping elect some local and state politicians. And I think you just get to a point where um, you realize that wishing for change doesn't really get you very much. So yeah, I think, um, sure. you know, when if you want change, you have to create it. And so um, here I am, you know, I, I don't feel that my current representative is representing me or representing the district or even representing Democrats. So um, I stepped up to the plate. So uh, a lot of people, um, you know, heeded uh, President Obama's call in 2016 after um, after the Trump won the general election to mm -hmm. get involved at the local level and run for local offices. Was that any bit of an impetus to, to, to you? You know, I was um, applauding those people. Um, <laughs> I, I chose a little bit of a different path because politics was never something that um, I saw in my future per se. Um, so I, I jumped in and help, was helpful in other ways. So while there were certainly others stepping forward to run for office, I became more involved, as I said, in activism. I was organizing protests. I was calling, um, you know, my legislators. I was reaching out to my friends, probably um, to some of them to their utter annoyance, nudging them all the time to um, speak up and get their, you know, their senators or their representatives or even, um, you know, on the state level as well to vote one way or another. And after I've like sort of checked all those boxes, I did my civic duty and realized, wow, hmm, things still aren't changing. Right. Uh, and I think um, I'm encouraged to, to see more progressives being elected to office. I think it's provided some cover and um, given quite a bit of courage to a lot of other Democrats as well. And now we're starting to see a lot of progressive ideas really in the, um, on the main stage here, which I think is really exciting. It, it is exciting. Um and, but again, like this, this district is, it's, it's been democratic, mm -hmm. right? Swazi, has, he's in his second term now. And before mm -hmm. that was Steve Israel. Mm -hmm. um, but democratic on Long Island doesn't necessarily mean progressive. Um, in fact, you know, both Swazi and Israel were, were fairly moderate Democrats as, mm -hmm. as that goes. Mm -hmm. um, but I, maybe we should do a little bit of a civics lesson, which, which I try to do because a lot of people, uh, as much as politics is in the news and people are sort of well aware of um, some of the national issues, they're not so well versed in the local terminology. So when we talk about District 3 uh, or the 3rd District, of which Oyster Bay is a part, mm -hmm. uh, what are we really, what are we talking about? What what are the towns in that district and what is the range of the district? Yep. So um, District 3 ranges from northeastern Queens all along the north shore of Long Island all the way out to Huntington. And it comes down um, in certain aspects to about halfway of the island. So like Beth Page is part of their um, plain view kind of in that area as well. Mm -hmm. So it's it's quite a large district. It's about 729,000 people in the district as well. But, you know, I would say when we talk about this idea, like I am certainly a proud progressive Democrat, but I think it the word progressive has gotten um, taken a little out of context. And I think it's become the meaning of it has become lost. Um, what does it mean to be progressive when we talk about what the center is or running left of someone? Look at the presidential platform right now. 
I think what we would have thought of as progressive, um, you know, certainly in 2016 when Bernie Sanders was running, is now very much the center. Certainly on the, on the Democratic side, but right. I mean, if you look at politics as a whole in this country, um, you know, since the 80s, the, what's considered to be a re- regular conservative viewpoint mm-hmm. is really a, a very right of center. And traditional moderate Democrats now would be considered sort of Rockefeller Republicans like you'd see in the 60s. So there's a name for that, but I forget what it is. The shifting the shifting window of what's considered um, uh, allowable discourse in terms of the range of political ideas. Um, so, for example, an idea like... Um, like universal health care, mm-hmm. um, Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, in the United States is the only country in the world that would think of that as some sort of a, a radical lefty, soci- dare I use the word socialist mm-hmm. idea, even though there's really nothing, nothing socialist or radical about it. Right. And I think what's interesting about that is when you look at polling, universal health care is overwhelmingly favored if you take out the words Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. So when you strip, um, you know, if you strip it of a progressive ideal and you just say, what do you think about having comprehensive medical care that includes dental, vision, and healthcare? You wouldn't have to pay any premiums. There would be no co-pays. What do you think about that? Right. I mean, that yeah. sounds pretty yeah. good. Sounds good. Right. And so I just want to mention quickly as well, um, you know, there's been polling done in our district, actually in every congressional district in New York. Uh, Data for Progress actually polled five different progressive ideas. And in every single count, every congressional district across the entire state, it was overwhelmingly approved so over 50%, and in our particular district, it ranged between, um, and this wasn't just Democrats, this was just general polling, it ranged between about 68 and 73% approval rating for five different progressive ideas. So I think, um, you know, while it's constantly being said that our district is purple, we have to look at what happened in 2018. Mm-hmm. Democrats came out and they, we turned out the vote in a very, very big way. Um, and so I think we are starting to shift a little bit and we're starting to think about what these ideas mean. If Trump has given us anything, it has, it's been this gift of um, an awakening for many people. We have newly engaged voters and new voters coming out and turning out to vote like we've never seen before. And I'm super encouraged by that. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting point. Um, looking at the 2018 numbers, I mean... Swazi, 59%. DeBono, the Republican challenger, 41%. Um, a, fa- a fairly decent margin. A little tighter in 2016 when the, uh, when the top of the ticket had the, has a presidential election. I don't know if that's normal for this district or not. I didn't go that far back. Um, but, you know, you look at the number of registered Democrats in the county, 201,000 roughly. Mm-hmm. Republicans, 157,000. And then the number that voted, you had uh, 157,000 Democrats voting and 109,000 Republicans voting. So there is more that can be done in, in the issue of turnout and getting people Absolutely. out to vote. Right? And we do have a lot of unregistered voters in the district. Not, I'm sorry, unaffiliated voters in the district. And we have a lot of independent voters in the district as well. Mm. And, it, and it's a it's a fairly well well off district. I mean, the median income at one hundred and seven thousand dollars is mm-hmm. is higher than a lot. Absolutely, of other it's one of the wealthiest districts. districts. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I mean, you you announced fairly recently, right? Like, two weeks ago. Weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Just right? two weeks ago. So, mm-hmm. so um, I don't know if you've been out and about in the community talking to people, but mm-hmm. are you getting any sort of sense from people that that uh, you know, regardless of the polling, which you know. Um, I guess messaging is important. How you frame an issue is important. But mm-hmm. have, have have you spoken to voters and have they said to you, you know what, I I, uh, I really am, uh, I, I think this immigration, what's going on with that is is horrible. I think um, 
the uh, Medicare for all is the way that we need to go? Or are you getting a little less uh, enthusiasm about that? No, I've been um, I've been overwhelmingly surprised at the outpouring of support that we've received, um, not only from coalitions that I'm involved with, but also from from voters that I and constituents that I hadn't met um, who are contacting me who want to be involved in the campaign, mm-hmm. who are really excited about universal health care, who are adamant about a Green New Deal. Um, I, I haven't met, I don't think, a single person in the district, whether they are Republican or a Democrat, that has said, hmm, this immigration crisis? Yeah, <laughs> thumbs up. I, I haven't met anyone that has said that. Um, I actually went down to the border. I'm not sure if you knew that. I um, did. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that because uh, yeah. that'll certainly put uh, put the issue front and center in front of you in a way that most Americans have just have no conception. Mm-hmm. Of. Mm-hmm. And what 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 was your experience like? Yeah. Visiting? So it's it's just like you're reading about. You know, you go down, you hope that that's not really the case. But when we went down, um, we had booked our trip, a few friends of mine and I, and um, when we got down there. Um, El Paso went from, you know, three, four weeks earlier being completely overrun. The shelters were at capacity. There weren't enough volunteers. There wasn't enough food. Um, the bus stations were overflowing, um, to being a complete ghost town, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a big surprise when we got up there. And I think that's indicative of how quickly the Trump administration moves from a policy perspective. Mm -hmm. They ramped up their MPP program, which is, you know, basically their remain in Mexico program. So they started deporting everyone um, to Mexico. Uh, the week before... Were those uh, asylum seekers that he was sending back over mm-hmm, to wait for their absolutely. hearing in Mexico? And something that I learned when I was down there is when the U.S. deports um, the deports migrants back to Mexico, there's not a place for them. Right. So they drop them off essentially on a street corner and then they have to fend from the, for themselves. Some of these people have traveled, most of them from the Northern Triangle countries, and they don't know anybody. So it's um, it's extremely dangerous and it's extremely irresponsible. It is. And, and uh, I see, where were you? You were down in Ciudad Juarez area? Yes, we, we went over to Juarez to mm-hmm. volunteer because, as I said, El Paso was essentially a ghost town when we went down there. Right. Um, and, and of course... Um, Despite the fact that there's been so much um, controversy about the immigration plan, just today, uh, Trump uh, issued a new rule to detain migrant families indefinitely. So sort of doubling down on on, on the policy, doubling down on, on cruelty, if you will. I mean, what can Congress do about this? Because, you know, you're, I, I watched a YouTube video um, that you were in where you challenged Swazi mm-hmm. uh, at a town hall in Huntington, I guess it was in early July. Mm-hmm. Um because he is, um, he was one of the few Democratic uh, Congress people to vote uh, for a, um, uh, I guess it was a referendum in, su- in support of ICE, and that was one thing. And then he also um, uh, was inter- instrumental in pushing through uh, the, the the border funding bill, which ha- had very little uh, for human rights or, or, or palliative care, mm-hmm. alleviative care for the people down there, and, and much more for border security. Um and I completely lost where that question was yeah, going, well, but could you talk to that? Yeah, I can. And, and, and I would love to, because I think what's important, um, it gets very confusing. I think, you know, when we hear the name of the bill, which, you know, it was for um, humanitarian aid and any of us looking at that, we think to ourselves, oh, that's a great thing. Thank goodness Congress acted. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the bills, um, you know, there was a House bill that was initially passed and there was some guaranteed protections for uh, migrants in that bill. Of course, McConnell 
didn't want any of them, uh, stripped them all out. And then Nancy Pelosi was negotiating, spent the day trying to get some of them put back in. And what happened was the Problem Solvers Caucus, which Tom Swazi is the vice chair of. Um, it's which kinda, I guess we should say is uh, it's, it's a group that consists of centrists from both parties that get together to try and... Um, I don't know, bridge the gap, work together, right. or what have you. Right. And I think from an ideological perspective, um, it sounds like a great idea. Um, sure does. Let's work together. Right. We're all for working together. But I think the Trump administration has shown us that we can't work together. Or they're not negotiating in good faith. So I think we really have to question why our congressman is chairing this caucus or vice chair of this caucus. Um, but so essentially what happened was as, as Nancy Pelosi was negotiating this bill, um, the Problem Solvers Caucus and the Blue Dog Dems, which is another conservative caucus mm. within the Democratic Party, basically told her, we're not going to support your bill. We want to push through um, the Senate bill, which had essentially no protections in there for um, migrants in our care. And that I use that word <laughs> very loosely, if right. you can call it care. Yes. Um, I did the math on the bill. You know, there was, It was a $4.6 billion bill. The overwhelming majority of the bill went to expanding shelters, and only about 3% of it went to guaranteed care. There was some vague language in the bill in other places where, you know, maybe, maybe some of it will be spent um, on uh, what we would traditionally think of as humanitarian aid. But I don't know about you, Mark, but I have seen what they've been doing at the border. I'm mm -hmm. not convinced they know how to care for people. No, and they, they clearly don't. But I mean, that, that exchange with you, you and Swazi was sort of like a microcosm of the debate going on inside the Democratic Party writ large, which is, um, do you advance a progressive agenda at all costs or do you um, compromise work in the center? I mean, it's the difference between do you, do you put Bernie Sanders up as your standard bearer, Elizabeth Warren, or do you put up? Joe Biden, right? Well, who is going to excite voters to come out? I think that's the Probably question. Probably not Joe Biden. Probably not Joe <laughs> although, Biden. Although he plays well in Wisconsin and Ohio, and, and those are the states that, that the Democrats well, need to win. Well, what's interesting is there was a poll, and I can, I don't, um, it was a change research poll that just came out yesterday out of Wisconsin, which, you know, is typically conservative Dem battleground right. state for Medicare for All, and it was, um, had an 80% approval rating. It, and did, did they use the term Medicaid, Medicare for all? I'll have or, to or look. <laughs> I can send it to you. I will look. I'll, I will check. But, but you know, I mean, I think that it speaks to that these policies, these ideas, these quote unquote progressive policies are resonating with Americans all over. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget that these crossover voters, they voted for Obama because Obama promised hope and change. They voted for Trump because he promised the same thing. He just right. didn't deliver on it. Well, and, you know, that, that gets you to the, the economic uh, situation and and you know, fortunately for Trump, the economy's been chugging along quite nicely. Thanks, on, Obama. Yeah, right. Well, of course, <laughs> right. I mean, on paper, it, it, it looks great. I mm -hmm. mean, you have you have incredibly low unemployment. I mean, the fact that people are working two and three jobs, jobs mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody talks about that. Right. Um, right. To put a chicken on the table. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and and you see it in in what Trump is. Uh, sort of floating these trial balloons the last couple of days about, oh, I'm going to give you a payroll tax cut. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, I mean, sounds like a casino <laughs> dealer. I mean, you know, right, you're not yeah. too far off. Yeah. Which, you know, he wasn't able to make his casinos profitable either. So that that's a whole other thing. Right. Um, right. But yeah, I think, um, you know, we talk about this idea of, 
of how do we compromise? And, and, you know, look, if we can compromise, if we have, uh, if the Republicans want to compromise on something in good faith, then yes, let's sit down and do that. But under the Trump administration, we have not seen that. We have seen Republicans do go from telling you that he's a clown to turning around and doing a complete 180 and being his biggest supporter. Um, so I'm not convinced right now that they are, are you know, that they are, they're good faith partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I think that there are very specific agenda items that we need to address right away. And I, I mean, to me, I think we go full bore with them. There are some others that we can certainly, um, you know, discuss and debate. But the idea that we have people dying in this country because they can't afford their medicine, that should not be in America. No. The idea that we have schools being shot up. My eight-year-old asked me two days ago, mommy, why do we need bulletproof backpacks? Right. I thought school was safe. I don't want any parent to have to answer that question ever again. These are issues. And if we don't address the, the climate crisis right now, we will not have the opportunity to do so. In 10 years, there will be irreversible damage. Those are things that I think we cannot compromise on. And um, the climate issue is certainly should be of interest to most people who live on the North Shore of Long Island. Absolutely. Uh, since, you know, mm-hmm. as the seas rise, uh, people will start losing property and, and so forth. And, um, but, but that also kind of gets to the point of there are a lot of large systemic social issues um, that need to be addressed, mm-hmm. you know, climate change, uh, uh, guns, immigration policy. Mm-hmm. But um, what, are the, what are sort of the, the district-centric issues that people are looking at? Because, um, you know, one thing that I had Josh Lafazan in here, and, and mm-hmm. he is a, a, a classic, um, albeit very young, a politician of sort of like the Al D'Amato mold, who used to be called Senator Pothole, right? Because you call his office, uh, you know, there's there's people hanging out, you know, drinking beer on the bike path, and mm-hmm. it's something will get done about it, you know. Um, and and granted, you know, his his um, his office is more geared towards local Absolutely. things, than that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, he's a county executive, and, and we're talking about Congress here, but um, you know, what what can a what is a what can a congressperson do? Um, on the, on the local level to make to make his or her candidacy more attractive uh, to the con, to constituency because it's great to talk about Medicare for all and, and all that kind of thing but you know are, are people thinking in that macro level when well, they're choosing a, a yes, representative yes absolutely they are i would um Healthcare is probably the number one issue that people raise to me, um, and they, they want it to change. Um, you know, the notion that um, people like their insurance, it always makes me chuckle a little bit. I, Most I, of those people probably never had to use it. <laughs> but the reality is people like their doctors. They don't yes. like their insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, insurance rates are only going up. So that is an issue specific to the district that people do care um, quite a bit about. The environment is something we should all care about. I think, um, you know, and, and that is something in a very big way um, we can be very impactful on Long Island. We're already ha- we already have areas in Long Island that are flooding. Um, I mean, look at look what happened with Superstorm Sandy, right? right? I mean, all the way out um, east, there are roads that completely flood and uh, children can't get to school. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a medical issue, people can't get to the hospital. So we're already seeing that um, and we know that it's going to get worse. So that I think is a very... Um, locally specific issue that we can address. Um, you know, I hear a lot from women, which obviously, you know, makes sense since I'm a woman. Um, and even though it's not super local, thankfully we flipped the New York Senate, um, the state Senate here. Sorry. Hold on one second. Sure. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Sure. No problem. 
I'm saying thankfully we flipped the New York State Senate in 2018 and they codified Roe into the you know, the state. Um, but that's an issue that women care about here Absolutely. locally. And so even w- they're seeing these abortion bans all pop up all over the country and they're, they're very mad they, and they should be right. We're done negotiating our own agency and our health with, with men. I mean, that's just absurd. We're not going to do it anymore. And so, you know, while in New York, we don't necessarily have to, um, be as concerned because of the state law, that is an issue that many women are very upset about. Um, guns is another issue that resonates, um, very well in the district and people want, they want safety. I, I, you know, as a mom of three, I can appreciate that. I want to help create a world where my kids aren't scared. Um, I think affordable housing is another issue that I'm hearing quite a bit. Um, you know, part of my district is in Queens as well. And, um, the school to prison pipeline has been brought up time and time again. Um, so these are, these are issues that we have to really address that we can bring home on a local level as well. Affordable housing is a, is a huge issue on, not just in Queens and on Long Island, you know, there's Absolutely. generations of people who are leaving here because they can't Absolutely. afford to live here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that, that sort of brain drain and, and talent drain makes makes it uh, all the more difficult for the place to function properly. Mm-hmm. But let me go back to healthcare for a second. And, yep. you know, you know, this is Oyster Bay, the land of Teddy Roosevelt. So a lot of people that listen to this are probably either Republicans or right, more right leaning Democrats. Okay. Uh, there, there's, there's a few of true blues out here. <laughs> Shout out to, to those folks. Um, but you know, so I'm just gonna give you the argument that everybody says about mm-hmm. Medicare for all, which mm-hmm. is how you're supposed to pay for it. Yeah. And that, that's a, cause talk- we already pay enough taxes. That's a talking point we hear a lot. Um, there are actually plans that are out there. You can Google it and you, Bernie Sanders did a version. Um, I'm working on when I roll out my, you know, larger policy on, um, universal healthcare on a section that shows us how we pay for it. The reality is this, you hear that you hear it's going to cost X amount of money. What you don't hear is how much it already costs and we know that each year trend, medical trend costs from an insurance employer perspective, it goes up between eight and 10% at a minimum every single year. Completely Most, unsustainable. Really, It's over not, time. and it, it's been unsustainable. Right. And, you know, I, I used to work with corporations and organizations and I would help them with this and I would, I would help them implement uh, behavior change programs. And we would look at their benefits and we'd say, how can we try to lower these? How, what can we do from a benefits utilization perspective? And the reality is that, um, you know, these, benefits directors would be pulling their hair out. Like, how mm-hmm. do I keep do, how, how can I even negotiate this anymore? And the truth is you can't. And the next five or 10 years, it's going to be even worse. Um, so right now costs are rising up and they're completely un- unsustainable. So we need to address it and there are ways to do it. Um, and so hopefully you'll look at um, my plan that I'll be rolling out I, pretty I soon. certainly will. Yeah. Uh, does it sort of go along the line? I mean, what of Sanders plan? Because, uh, or does, does Lauren have her own plan out too, or she's, she signed on the Sanders plan? I think, well, it, so I think the gold standard right now is actually representative uh, Jayapal's bill, which mm-hmm. is essentially Sanders, but it addressed some of the cost containment issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, from, you know, Sanders, uh, the way he sort of sells it is, okay, you know, you're paying premiums now you're paying co-pays, you have mm-hmm. massive deductibles every mm-hmm. year, all of that goes away and under a Medicare for all system, you can choose any doctor, everybody's in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, for most people, the cost will be less. Mm-hmm. For the people on the North Shore of Long Island who have high incomes, mm, maybe. <laughs> well, I think the thing is when you actually look at the math, right, most of us are not looking at our paychecks and saying, oh, okay, well, we're we're paying 500 or 600 or 800 into 
my insurance system, right? Because we're not looking at those premium right. payments because they're already deducted, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think we, is important to talk about is what we're seeing, um, particularly seeing this a lot in New York, but really um, in many other places as well. There's been a shift from this copay plan to this high deductible health plan, yes, um, which I think is a I, I kind of think it's a dangerous shift because it's preventing people from going to the doctor. If they know that they're going to pay $400 just for the visit, that may prevent someone from going to the doctor. And that's unsafe. Well, now, now you're getting into Marianne Williams' plan, which is... No, no, no. <laughs> which is, uh, you know, we don't have uh, 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 health care. We have sick care in this country. Well, oh, know? so in that sense, well, you know, I, I will say, like, um, there's... I don't agree with Marianne Williamson <laughs> on a lot of things, but right. I, I did think she made a really valid point there. As someone who's worked in wellness, um, you know, this is not a new topic. Right. Um, it, it's right. I mean, most of our healthcare, what we think of as, a, excuse me, what we think of as healthcare, it really is sick care, mm -hmm. probably 90% of it. So we do have to figure out how do we create healthy or sustainable communities, um, you know, on the local level, which I think um, it, it, it has, it's like, it has to be a systematic change. Right, not just a not. I mean, yeah, Medicare I look for at, all is great, but you you need to do some tweaks around the edges. If if you it's a band aid approach, I guess yeah. in that kind of sense, right? Because we don't fix the root of the problem, but I I think um I think we can. I think we can fix them both at the same time. Yeah, uh, I certainly think so. And uh, you know, again, you look at something like uh, shifting to the to the Green New Deal, which mm -hmm. everyone's concern is. You know, how do you pay for that? But mm -hmm. really, I mean, if you're unwinding one industry and you're sort of ramping up another. Um, it's just, it's, it's like capitalism writ large, really. Mm -hmm. It's just the shifting of resources. Right. 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 Um, cause you know, I, w I work in the utility industry, uh, um, and I am hard pressed to find a utility around this country that is not interested in investing in renewable energy because it's cheaper for them to run power plants off of renewable, renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And which is why that despite Trump's best efforts, the coal industry is still continuing to decline because it's an antiquated technology. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to be behind the curve and we should be investing money in new technologies. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Rather than old technologies. Right. So. And I think that that is, you know, as I said earlier, that the Green New Deal should be a top priority for everybody on Long Island. I'm not sure if you saw, there was a climate science report that came out, oh gosh, probably about three months ago. And, you know, everything is a little bit, um, you do your best estimate, but essentially it said, if we do not do anything to address climate, Within 60 years, half of the south shore of Long Island will be underwater. Yes. Um, the problem is um, there are a lot of people that don't believe that. <laughs> I know. and <laughs> I don't I'm, know how I, you get talk people into believing in science, but... Right. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how we get people to believe in science either. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that, there, that is a little bit of a public relations um, battle there, isn't yes. there? To sort of get that conversation back out of, you know, politics and into, into, into reality. Um because we're, we're really the only country that politicizes climate change. I mean, there's conservative governments in Europe and, and they still have, you know, they're still part of the Paris Accords. They're still trying right. to reduce their CO2 emissions. Mm -hmm. It's just here that we have this weird, weird idea. Uh, and mostly that's because of money in politics, right? <laughs> so segueing into that, you have another great YouTube video that I was watching the other day where, um, uh, so I'll, I'll sort of set it up. You have a nice... Uh, New York style pizza that never did anything to anybody. <laughs> and you're standing next to it with uh, a container of, of chopped pineapple. And the pizza represents our democracy. Mm -hmm. The pineapple represents corporate money. And then you pour the pineapple on the pizza and uh, you get something that's really distasteful. And, <laughs> and very few people want At to take a bite of it. At least to our district, Certainly right? outside of Washington. <laughs> um, 
So that that was that's a great analogy, and you know, I, I just think back to Ralph Nader, who when he ran in two thousand, you know, that that was probably the sole issue that he ran on was money in corporate politics, and and it's gotten worse since then. You have Citizens United, um, you know, which equates politics and speech. Uh, what do you do about that? You have a Supreme Court precedent that basically says, you know, the, the gloves are off. You can spend as much money as you want. It's money is speech. Uh, how do you, how do you get around that? How do you reform the political system? I, yeah. I'll give you an easy question. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Super easy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think in order to fully address it, we need a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. That's how we have to do it. I think we need to build a lot of support um, on the state level across the country. And I think we are seeing a lot of candidates now reject, reject corporate PAC money. And we're seeing it on the presidential stage as well. And, you know, um, in the last election, like Luba, Gretchen, Shirley, who ran in um, CD2, she rejected it. And I think that that's a really important... So you're not um, taking corporate money? No, I'm not. No no corporate PAC money. No, I'm not. Um, Unlike my opponent, who's taking almost (laughs) all of it. (laughs) I don't think there's any left for anybody, quite frankly. Um, 25 years in politics, like he he touts that, like 25 years in politics. And I'm thinking, like, is that a positive? (laughs) <laughs> is, it, is that a negative? Because you owe a lot of people a lot of favors after 25 years, you know, right. under this current system. I, sorry, I interrupted No, that's fine. That's fine. I think that, you know, the major problem with money in politics is that it, it, it makes the... It unevens the scale. I think that everyone's vote should count the same way. And look, I have no problem if a you know a billionaire wants to donate to someone's campaign. I just think that billionaire should be subjected to the same limit that everyone else is. Right, right. And um, a constitutional amendment is, is is the way you would need to go about that. Either right. that or, dare I say, maybe uh, change the number of justices on the Supreme Court. Because that's, that's also been floated talked about, around. floated around, mm-hmm. because the, the court's become increasingly politicized in recent years. And there's no magic uh, to the number nine. It's, it's not always been that way in history. Right. So. That would be another way. Um, I think what we've learned as Democrats is... Um, even when we do the right thing, we step up and do the right thing. It's not always reciprocated on the other side. Although I will point out that when Tom Swazi ran against DeBono in uh, Dan DeBono in, in 2018, Dan DeBono did not take corporate money. Oh, he didn't. Right, which was interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It usually usually goes the other way. It usually does. It usually does. Uh, so, one other issue that you've been very active in before even announcing your candidacy was uh, on the issue of. of gun regulation and gun control. Another somewhat unpopular issue in the town of Oyster Bay. I I get the feeling that most of my neighbors are armed to the teeth sometimes from what I've seen on the town Facebook page and whatnot. But um, so, so, you know, the the anti-democratic argument is the Democrats are coming to take our guns. The Second Amendment is a constitutional right. Um, But, you know, like any right, subject to restriction, you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater, that sort of thing. Do you have a, uh, what are you, what are your thoughts about the way forward dealing with that issue? Because it's sort of a thorny problem. Well, I don't think that it is a thorny problem and I'll tell you why. Um, that's a messaging issue, right? And I think that Republicans have always, um, done a great job with messaging issues, even if they are, um, not, true. Um, And so the idea that Democrats are coming for guns is just a complete falsehood. That Mm -hmm. is not true. Um, I'm a Democrat. While I don't own a gun, I don't think it's my place to tell you you can't own a gun if, um, you know, you're a healthy person and can make your own choices and, you know, you're sound mind and body. And that is not my place. However, I think when we see the amount of mass shootings on the rise, I think as a community, as a nation, we need to come together and um, 
implement policies that keep us all safe. Because I think at that point, we have to look at the, we have to be more mindful of the greater good. It's also a money and politics issue, isn't it? Of course it is. The NRA is, you know, somehow able, well, Trump just yesterday said that, you know, after speaking to Wayne LaPierre, that uh, background checks are now off the table uh, in terms of, (laughs) which, you know, considering that 80%, might even be higher than 80% of the the public uh, supports some sort of mandatory waiting period and background check. It's, it's a, including uh, Republicans. Yeah, it's a classic example of, of, of lobbyists and, and, and pack money subverting the will of the majority of people. It's so. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, with the weakening of the NRA right now, if, if that stays that if the NRA continues to get weaker, I think mm-hmm. we might actually have a chance of passing some meaningful legislation. You know, if as as long so. as Mitch McConnell as as loses Higgs <laughs> right, next I election, <laughs> I mean he's uh, he's being primary, doesn't he? I, any idea how that's going? I haven't kept up on that. Um, I know that that his opponent has raised a lot of money. I think in the mm-hmm. first day she raised over a million dollars. Right. Well, that's what you need to to beat. I mean, it's really if you think about it, it's um it, it's using Trump's playbook to our advantage, right? You can capitalize on hate. <laughs> yeah, apparently you can. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 2020, right around the corner. Um, the Democrats certainly have no shortage of qualified candidates running and per- perhaps a few too many. Um, any, any thoughts on who you think is going to come out on top of that battle? I mean, I have my favorite. Um, I think that... Um, you can tell us who it is. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> mind telling you who it is. I think that as, as we progress in the debates, I, I think, you know, we've already started to see some kind of, some candidates kind of back away, right? Like Adam Schiff backed away. We saw that. And I think we'll, we'll see that after the next um, debate as well. Um, I'm actually excited. I'm not one of those Democrats that's annoyed by the amount. Um, if no, you, I think it's it's an embarrassment of riches, actually. I mean, we are so fortunate to have um, so many amazing candidates and such a strong bench. And look, you know, the Republican primary in 2016, there were a ton of candidates there as well. Right. And at this, at this point in 2016, or was it, was it 2008? Or twenty, I think maybe it was two thousand eight. Giuliani was leading by like forty points. So anything yeah, can happen. I mean, look, name recognition has a you know is a huge part of it for sure. And I think um, we've started to see some other candidates moving up in the polls because mm-hmm. as you know, more Americans get to know them. I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Warren. I think she's yeah, super smart. Um, she's got the plans for it. I think she's charismatic. She connects with people. I think she connects with urban people, with people in urban areas. I think she connects with uh, people in rural areas. You know, she um, she's really passionate on, on making a difference. And I think that that's really what we need right now. Um, that being said, I, I think you have to lift your hat to Bernie Sanders as well. Running in 2016 um, on on a platform that seemed, I think to a lot of people, like what, what is he doing? Like this seemed, it, was, it, seemed, it was ludicrous in that it political seemed, It was so not what we were used to. And I think maybe we just like weren't ready for that gift. And, um, you know, wh- wherever Bernie goes, whether he wins the nomination or not, I think he is owed a tremendous amount of debt because he has shaped, um, he shaped the conversation. Like everyone's running on essentially his, his platforms from 2016. Yep. So I think that's really exciting. 
Um, but I'm happy to see, um, you know, some of the other women out there. I, I To me, that's just incredibly inspiring. Um, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand, who's our senator, right. she's been a fierce advocate for women um, her entire career. And, you know, I've, I've seen her come out um, at a variety of um, protests, et cetera, and come and talk with people and connect with people. And, and she fights for people. And so I'm, I love that she's, you know, as a New Yorker, I love that she's on that stage. I love right. that she has a voice for women. Um, Kamala Harris, I think, is... Um, She's she's a tough cookie, and, and for sure. it's great to see her up there as well. Yeah, it's a, a definitely a good good slate of candidates, and probably no more after Iowa and so forth. Do you think a woman being on the top of the ticket, um, you know, if Warren gets the gets the nod for the nomination, will um, increase w- voter turnout among women in this district? I think so. Yeah. I do because women went for Trump in 2016. Suburban women. Not, but not in this district. Not in this district. Right. Overall in the right. country. But right. And like I said, I think sometimes you're not ready for it. Um, and right. it's unfortunate, but I think we have seen um, such a shift and a reawakening in the women's movement. And we've seen that like, you know, um, I guess it was the 2017 Women's March right. and then the 2018 Women's March, right? We have seen just tremendous turnout. We have seen women stepping up and running for office. And yeah, we all went to that as a, a family and that was oh, really amazing. something to be, <laughs> something to see. Yeah, know? it was. I mean, that was Don't history. Don't off the women. That's right. And, and you know what? <laughs> Trump has done that in spectacular yeah. fashion he, and he, Mitch McConnell <laughs> in spectacular fashion. Yeah, I think it would be very exciting. Um uh, you know, and I think, oh, I didn't mention earlier, I, you know, I, I don't know that he'll make the top of the ticket, but um, Julian Castro, I think, has a, you know, super interesting voice, uh, a lot to contribute. I think he's brilliant. Um, love seeing him up on the stage as well. Yeah, he did great in that uh, that first debate. Um, really mm-hmm. got, got his message out there. Absolutely. Um, and, and definitely a good candidate. So uh, are we going to expect to see some position papers and more media from you anytime yes. in the near future? Yes, yes, yes. We're working on um, rolling out, uh, you know, more specific policy uh, positions because I think, um, you know, when you when you first launch, it has to be a broad stroke. And right. then we'll be uh, rolling out more as the campaign progresses and we'll be sharing a lot more media as well. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Going to have some uh, low-level fundraisers for the the non-moneyed folks. I'm sure. We'd oh, love uh, to be absolutely. Get I mean, you. as I said, you know, my my I'm not taking any corporate PAC money, so we are, you know. Right now, um, I don't know, I don't know what the percentage is, but we're you know we're running on small donations. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Um, I think I'm good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Good luck with the uh, campaign. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll be hearing a lot more from you going forward. You will. Thanks so much. All right, folks. What did we think of that? That was a little blue for Oyster Bay, wasn't it? Um, Hopefully you learned something and, you know, consider some of that stuff. Uh, I am happy, by the way to uh, sit down and talk uh, to a Republican <laughs> uh, who is running for anything in, in the town. Uh, I put some feelers out, but uh, the only people that want to talk to me are Democrats. I'm not quite sure why that is. I don't know. I know Republicans aren't chicken. Uh, so if you have a favorite Republican that you would like to sit down in my uh, studio and have me talk to, drop me their name on the Facebook page, what have you. Uh, all right. You guys have a good week. And uh, I'll be back soon. Take care.